Welcome back to Management 101 with me, your host, Max Weneker. Before we get into today's episode, I first wanted to apologize to my tens of listeners for the extended hiatus over the holiday period. I can imagine that many, if not all of you, were refreshing your podcast list every single day expecting another episode, and I am truly sorry that I did not deliver. That being said, I am very excited to get back to helping people become better managers in the new year of 2023. Today's topic is hiring. We'll talk about why hiring is important as a manager. We'll talk about why most managers suck at it. And we will also talk about the basics of a good hiring philosophy so you can be armed with the tools you need to be great. Let's start with just why hiring matters. Hiring is a really big part of any manager's job. Big companies, small companies, tourism companies, food service, railroads, sales, all of these companies hire people. Some hiring is done to uh, replace people who leave or other people get promoted. Other hiring is done to grow a team. Regardless of the reason, hiring matters a lot. In fact, many leaders will say that hiring is the single most important thing that they do. And I agree with those leaders. So why does hiring matter? Uh, We've talked in earlier episodes about how bad hires can lead to all sorts of problems for a company. Some of a company's success is certainly determined by factors completely outside of its control, but the part that is in its control is largely determined by one, the quality of the talent in the organization, and two, how well that talent works together. Hiring well can make both of those things happen. Hiring poorly can make neither of them happen. And in case you don't believe me, let's ask Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs said, and I quote, the secret of my success is that we have gone to exceptional lengths to hire the best people. What problems normally lead to bad hiring? You've now been convinced that hiring matters. Great. Uh, This is not a particularly controversial opinion. I've definitely never met a leader who told me that they thought hiring wasn't important. But every company I've ever worked with, and I imagine every company ever actually, has hired badly. There is one exception that I'm aware of, and that is Max Wenneker Consulting, LLC. But uh, to be fair, we are a company of one, and I give my own performance reviews, so there might be some bias in there. So if leaders think hiring is so important, then why does it go so poorly? A hiring process, in theory, is completely within a company's control, right? To answer my own rhetorical question, yes, a company does have full control over its hiring process. But there are a few things that managers do that make them bad at hiring. First, many managers make hiring what I like to call a side-of-desk activity. A side-of-desk activity is one that only gets focused on when there's extra time, kind of like a, a hobby, but at work. Managers, second, managers often face tremendous pressure either placed on themselves or from their superiors to deliver results quickly. I think managers know that hiring is not something that will deliver any results quickly. So if something needs to get done today or this week or even this quarter, only the people that are already at the company can really make that happen. And so hiring falls by the wayside just because it doesn't produce any value right now. The other thing is when hiring becomes a side of desk activity, it gets done poorly. Pressure is going to build on that manager to hire people because their team is falling behind or they will lose headcount in a future version of the budget if they don't fill those roles now. They'll rush to fill those spots on the team. Maybe a manager in that rush will be less thorough. 
with resume review or with interviewing, maybe they'll skip some steps altogether in that interview process. Maybe they'll just subconsciously lower their bar because they want someone in the door so badly. I've had many conversations with leaders who have been debating between hiring an okay candidate now or waiting for a great one later. In the moment, with the pressures of the business, it can be really easy to just hire that okay candidate, even though that's probably a bad decision for the company and for the team long term. The next reason that hiring is done badly is that good hiring is a team effort and some managers choose to do it alone. Every manager, including myself, has unconscious bias. This might be something as simple as the candidate went to the same college that I did, and therefore I might get more excited about that candidate, even if I don't mean to. Uh, there might also be bias in terms of desired skill set. So maybe a manager tends to focus on a candidate's analytical skills and isn't so great at filtering for a stakeholder management skills, while both are in reality equally important to a candidate's success. And without involving a diverse set of people in the hiring process, managers will fall prey to their unconscious biases and they will ultimately hire suboptimal candidates. There are many other reasons to be clear why hiring is done poorly, but I'll just list one more here that I think is really important. And that is that some managers just suck at interviewing. Now, to be fair to those managers, this is something that very few companies give proper training on, nor is it typically taught in school either. So add to this the fact that it's really not very natural to do well. And it's also hard to tell if you're doing it well, because the results uh, are so separated from the action. And then you've just got a recipe for a disaster. So here's some ways that managers really suck at interviewing without realizing it. One is they end up biasing towards the people who they most enjoyed speaking with, rather than those who actually demonstrate the competencies for the role. I myself, I've made plenty of bad hires. I once hired someone who I felt like I really connected with. Turns out while they ended up becoming a good friend, they were definitely not the best employee. Managers might also not ask the right questions. We're going to get into this a little bit more later on in the, in the episode. So I'm just going to gloss over it here. I'll talk about um, this concept later of experiential versus theoretical questions. So experiential questions are, tell me about a time when X happened. And theoretical questions are more, how would you approach X situation? And those two types of questions can yield very different results. Um, another reason is uh, managers also might be asking the right questions, but not looking for the right answers. So I've heard a manager say things like, this candidate seemed very nervous when giving this answer. And my question to them is often, does that matter? Will their job be just answering your interview questions for a living? Uh, in my mind, it usually makes more sense to judge the actual content of the answer rather than just the candidate's approach to answering it. And I've also heard managers review a candidate's interview and say that they answered all the questions in great detail, which they stated was a good thing. Uh, and that might be a good thing. But when we actually look at what the candidate said, we both end up agreeing that the candidate was not, well, they were thorough, to be clear but their actual answer was not how we'd want a person approaching that problem in the job. What are some keys to good hiring? So we've reviewed the ways in which managers do badly in hiring. Now let's talk about some keys for you to make good hiring happen. I'm gonna split this into a few different parts. Uh, here are the four. First is resume review. The second is communication with candidates. The third is the interview process. And then fourth is the interview itself. 
Let's start with resume review. And by the way, these are not in any particular order. They're just in the order of how I thought about them. Uh, so I think managers often draw the wrong conclusions from resumes. Usually that is based on preconceived notions that are incorrect about what makes someone a good fit for a role. Now, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this because the way companies managing their, manage their hiring processes tend to really uh, frustrate me. Uh, so this is something that has been on my mind a lot. The first interaction you have with a candidate is looking at their resume. So this is the first opportunity to filter candidates correctly or filter them poorly. You start with a good batch and you're much more likely to hire a good person. Plus, you'll spend a lot less time trying to find them. But to understand what we should look for on a resume, I think it's better to start with the uh, final outcome and then we work backward. Who are the best hires that you have ever made? Who are the worst hires you've ever made? It doesn't even have to be people you hired. It can just be people you've worked with. For me, when I thought about the answer to this question, there was only one common theme that stood out. And that was that the people who I'd hired or who I'd worked with who were the best talent, they tended to have a variety of experiences on their resume. And this wasn't something I'd previously thought about as being all that important. If anything, I think I'd originally thought of it as being frowned upon. Staying in one company or one industry for an entire career has been very much encouraged by society. Uh, many of my own managers, even in the interview processes, have asked me to stay away from candidates who have, quote unquote, bounced around too much. Uh, they've asked for someone with a ton of industry knowledge, sometimes called gray hair. Uh, but I look at some of the best hires I've made and almost all of them had tried a bunch of different things in their careers. So why is this the case? I have some theories. Uh, first, I think people with multiple types of experience are learning multiple team or company cultures. They end up with a broader list of good and bad team and company dynamics to emulate or avoid. The second is they've also just seen more types of problems. I once read this book called uh, Range, which talks about why generalists are so important in an increasingly specialized world. And the book talks about how being able to see a problem from many different angles allows an individual to be much more creative in solving it. So someone who's worked in multiple industries or in multiple functions has had the opportunity to get more perspectives and more ways of dealing with problems. And then my other, my other theory is just they're probably uh, interested in or at least very open to learning if they've had a bunch of different experiences. And that's just a really important trait to have in an employee. So here are some things that, as I thought through it, were not common themes in my highest performers' backgrounds. First is schooling. Some of the best talent I've ever worked with went to community college. In many startups I've worked with, leaders often have wanted brand name undergraduate degrees and MBAs. When I worked at Capital One, which is the first company I worked for out of college, the company hired from just a few relatively well-known and elite schools. Most of my coworkers were, to be clear, very competent. Then I went to Uber, which was my next job, and most of my peers had gone to schools that I had never heard of before, and they were very competent too. I, I personally believe there is a treasure trove of talent coming from lesser-known schools, and this talent is mo that is just simply being ignored by most companies. In a competitive labor marketplace, a startup should take advantage of any opportunity it can get 
to have an edge in in the talent. Uh, and so I think what I'd say is just be careful around how you think about schooling and what that actually means for your talent pool. The next thing that I felt was definitely not a common theme amongst my highest performers was uh, GPA and standardized test scores. Along the same lines, many of the people I've worked with were not at the top of their class, nor did they perform particularly well on tests like the SATs. Intelligence comes in many forms, and indexing for people who happen to be good test takers means you're missing out on great talent. And the, the last thing I'll note uh, on themes that did not exist that um, you might think would is experience in the same industry as my company. Now, I will acknowledge that there are some roles where some level of industry knowledge is important. I'd probably have a hard time managing a large industrial warehouse without having at least worked in one before or without significant training. But in roles where a specific set of hard skills is not required, what you're really hiring someone to do is solve problems. And the ability to solve problems, if anything, is enhanced by having a diverse set of experiences. Bringing in someone who comes from the same industry or who has spent their career in one industry could really result in that person taking a very plug and play approach at your company instead of thinking critically about what actually needs to get done. And I, I've seen this happen repeatedly where startups who are entering a uh, industry that the competition is typically uh, established companies, they'll try to bring in uh, the gray haired veterans from those companies. And oftentimes those individuals will not be thinking very critically about what problems need to be solved. And the company will get very frustrated with the lack of innovation they're seeing. And the, the reason that that's happening is because even though this person is industry knowledge, they are just using the plug and play approach. And they're not actually thinking about what is the problem that needs to be solved and what are the options for doing so. So when you're looking at a resume, I think it's really important to just ignore the time-worn tropes about what makes a bad versus a good candidate. Boil down the resume review to just what is going to set someone up for success in this role? Filter for that diversity of experiences and, of course, necessary hard skills, for instance, Six Sigma training or SQL fluency, and then let the interview process take care of it from there. Candidate communication. So you're reviewing resumes. Of course, you're going to actually need to reach out to the candidate if you are interested in interviewing them. This is where many managers get tripped up. I've seen lots of hiring managers set aside a couple hours, maybe every few weeks or even less often to do a resume review. They'll sift through applications and then they'll send a mass email to the candidates inviting them to the interview. There are at least two problems that I'm aware of with this approach. First, you are probably not the only company that this candidate is applying to. If you are waiting multiple weeks to review resumes, there's a better organized manager out there that has already reached out to that candidate and that candidate is well into their other interview process. So the longer you wait to review resumes, the less likely the best talent will still be available. The only experience, the, the second is that the only experience the candidate has with your company is through the interview process. Waiting weeks to reach out to someone is just not a great first impression. So I recommend instead of doing the, uh, you know, long block every few weeks approach, set aside a small amount of time every single day to review resumes and keep up with candidate communication. This way, you're not falling behind on great talent, and you're also leaving them with a very positive first impression. 
So the next topic within candidate communication is around candidate, keeping candidates updated. Beyond the first interaction, keeping candidates updated is really important to ensuring the best talent actually wants to work with you. If you are leaving people hanging for multiple weeks between interview steps, that reflects really poorly on you and on your organization. Make sure to be responding to candidates within 24 hours of their outreach um, or 24 hours after the last interview has had taken place, um, but also be updating them at least every three to four days if they're just on hold between steps so that they know what's going on. The bottom line here is that the interaction the candidate has with your company is the only impression that they have. So if you want to hire great people, treat them well in the interview process. That's a little bit about candidate communication. Now let's discuss the interview process itself. So there is a uh, big difference between speed and thoroughness. And I want to dive into that a little bit. I think that interview processes should be done fast. Um, there's really no point in prolonging them. It's worse for the candidate. You wait longer to get someone in the door. Uh, might as well go fast. But that doesn't mean skip steps. I think it should be fast, but done in great detail. The process of hiring someone, onboarding them, and training them is very time-consuming. It's also really costly to the company. Don't do all of that for a poorly vetted candidate. I'd rather spend three or four extra hours interviewing someone than have them spend months or years being a suboptimal hire. If you're worried that they're not willing to go through a rigorous interview process with you, then maybe the right perspective to take is they're not the right candidate. That doesn't mean go slowly, though. One of the best managers I ever hired, we made an offer to within two weeks of our first interaction. And during those two weeks, he had seven different interviews with the team. The longer an interview process lasts, the more competition you'll end up with for the candidate. Plus, candidates just love fast interview processes because it makes them feel cared about. What are the right steps in an interview process? I like to think about an interview process as a funnel. You start wide at the top and then you slowly winnow down to a smaller and smaller pool by the end. So I think it's best to go general to specific in terms of interview step order. Here's a typical interview process that I lay. The first interview is an informal chat with me or with an established team manager. This is 30 minutes, it's really casual. The goal here is just to establish a relationship with the candidate, get them excited about the role, and make sure that they at least could be a good fit. Um, try to understand what they're looking for, help them understand the role and the team as well as the company. They probably have a lot less context than you think. And then this is a good opportunity to ask questions related to any universally required skills in your team. This is like regardless of what role they're in in the team or the company, these skills are really important. Sometimes company values play a role here. So for me, every single person I hire needs to be exceptionally open to feedback and they need to be not an asshole. So I ask questions to get at those two things here. We'll talk more about interview questions in the next section. After the first step and after every other step, decide whether the candidate uh, performed well enough to move forward to the next step. Some sort of basic scorecard that interviews fill out, interviewers fill out with a I don't know, a one to five rating and some basic notes could be really helpful when you're reviewing this candidate later, and particularly when you're reviewing candidates side by side and trying to compare. Next interview. This is where I like to have another team member check my work. This is another 30 minute interview by someone else on the team. It's also very casual. Same goals as the first interview, but since you've already talked in the first interview about what the role entails and what the company's like, you can spend less time on that and more time on the candidate's potential fit. 
keep plugging away at those uh, universally required skills that your team has. So now if both interviewers of uh, the first round of that 30 minute casual interview agree that this candidate was great, now is the time I think to do the longer, more in-depth interviews where you get into more of the specifics around the role fit. So for these interviews, there could be two, three, four, you name it. I think it really depends on the, the level of the candidate and sort of like the depth of the skill required. But let's just assume for the moment that we're talking two or three um, extended interviews. These are what I call deep dive interviews. Uh, each of these interviews should be with a different team member. This is a good time also to think about including key stakeholders or other people from outside the team to make sure that you have a balanced perspective. And these also should be longer interviews since you're going deeper into detail, uh, maybe 45 minutes or even an hour. And each of these interviews should have a specific topic that is being focused on related to the skills needed in the role. My, maybe one is focused on stakeholder and people management. Another one might be focused on analytical skills and ability to pivot. And then maybe the last one is on problem solving techniques and business strategy. It really depends on what you're looking for out of the role. The goal coming out of these interviews is to be very certain that this candidate has the necessary both hard and soft skills to be effective in the role. Now comes the part where you get together as an interview group to discuss the candidate, and this is called a debrief. At this point, you should have had at least four people who spoke with this candidate, and they all asked different questions and discussed different topics. Uh, as the hiring manager, your job here is to host this debrief and then also to determine whether everyone believes this candidate is actually a great fit for the organization. If they don't think so, why not? Do other interviewers have a perspective on that aspect of the candidate? Uh, maybe someone else also asked similar questions or got a, got a read on this area that this interviewer is concerned about. Uh, this debrief should really bring clarity to everyone on all aspects of the person's candidacy. And at the end of it, you should be able to make a very informed decision as a hiring manager. In the interview process, there are just like a few other things that I think are important to be cognizant of. One, make sure to use interviewers from outside your team. I mentioned this earlier. I think it's really important. Your team has bias and you need to check that. Maybe all of your team comes from a similar background or has a similar skill set just because that's what's required for your team. Make sure you're having someone with a different background or skill set talking to this candidate and making sure that they can work effectively with others or you know, or will, will ultimately be a fit and can cover some of your team's blind spots. Do not hire someone over the strong objections of one of your interviewers. I think it's okay for an interviewer to be on the fence about a candidate. It's probably not okay for multiple interviewers to be on the fence about a candidate. And it's definitely not okay for any number of interviewers to have strong objections. You as the hiring manager have a lot of bias. Most likely it is a bias towards action, towards hiring, because there's a reason this role is open. It is important to rely on your interview process to filter those suboptimal candidates, even if it makes you unhappy. And the last thing is the questions that are um, asked in every interview should be written beforehand and given to the interviewer. Uh, and they should also be consistent across every candidate doing that specific interview. So like all candidates at the same stage of the process for one role. If you want to be able to compare candidates apples to apples, which is a very important aspect of an interview process, you need to ask them all the same questions. Certainly it's okay for an interviewer to have small top or topics are slightly different between uh, interviewers or sorry, between candidates, but the crux of each interview 
needs to contain the same content so that you can accurately assess one candidate versus another. Do not rely on interviewers to ask good questions. Just give them to them in advance. Even better, uh, not don't just give them questions to ask. Also tell them what to look for in the answers. Okay, so talked about communication with the candidate, talked about resume review, and we've also now talked about the interview process. Now I want to talk through the interview itself. Uh, what are the ways that you can be a good interviewer and make sure that you're getting the most information out of the candidate? Good interviews, I, th I think, contain a few things, and good interviewers do these few things very well. First, they are able to build great rapport with a candidate in a very short amount of time. Uh, this candidate, after talking to a good interviewer, is really excited about the company and about working with that person. Second, an interviewer who is very good at interviewing is asking the right questions, and then they're also asking thoughtful follow-up ones where they want to dive deeper into a topic or something wasn't clear. And then finally, they're engaging in discussion with the candidate about the answers to those questions. So they're turning it into a collaborative and therefore more comfortable process rather than I'm just peppering you with questions and I'm waiting for your answer. I don't personally think it's super difficult to train up on any of these things, particularly with practice. So first, building rapport. I find that people tend to like talking about themselves. I mean, you're listening to someone who literally records a podcast of his own voice. So uh, maybe there's some bias there, but ask the candidate what they do for work, what they're passionate about, how they came across the company, what piqued their interest. You could also even toss them some softball interview questions like, what was the most interesting project you ever worked on? All these questions will help the candidate feel comfortable and, and really help them start to like you uh, as an interviewer because uh, they do because they feel comfortable. Now, in, the, in terms of the, uh, the questions that are more the meat of the interview, I think the bulk of these, like I said earlier, should be written in advance. Um, this helps you not have to think of the right ones in real time. But I find the best interview questions to be uh, experiential instead of theoretical. So I mentioned this briefly earlier. A theoretical question is, as an example, uh, how do you approach giving feedback? Whereas the experiential version of that question is, can you tell me about a time when you had to give critical feedback to someone who wasn't expecting it? Uh, I think, unfortunately, both of the answers to both of these questions could be bullshitted, but I think it's a lot easier to do with a totally theoretical question. When assessing the uh, answers to these questions, I think there are two aspects to consider. One is the approach that the candidate took, and two is the depth of the answer. The way I think about approach is, do I agree with the way that they handled this situation? And the way I think about depth is, did they give me the right pieces of information such that I could understand what happened, why it happened, and also what the end result was? Sometimes I find that candidates will answer questions in great depth, and I will appreciate that as an interviewer, but then I'll read through my notes later and realize I'd really disagreed with that approach. So I think it's important to think about both. So that leads me to my next point, uh, engaging in discussion with the candidate, that third piece. If the candidate answers a question with appropriate depth, but bad approach, maybe ask them, for example, would they do anything differently next time in the same situation? Or... Why did they think this approach was the right one? Or were there any downsides to the way they handled this situation? If they're really open to other ways of handling the situation, that's a good sign because it means they're open to, hear, to learning and they're not rigidly stuck in their ways. Now, if a candidate answers a question with a good approach, but not enough depth, 
ask for more specifics. I once asked a candidate to tell me about their most recent experience working cross-functionally to achieve a common goal. They said their manager had asked them to work with someone from another team and it went well. Great. That told me nothing. Uh, but then I asked the candidate to tell me more about the project and then more about the team members they were working with and what made it go so well. And these questions made the candidate open up a lot more and I was able to better assess their answer. Okay, approaching the end here. We've uh, talked through what makes crappy interviewing. We've talked through what makes good interviewing. Just want to leave you with some last uh, tips and tricks. Um, I, and these are there are three that I think are sort of universally important to successful hiring processes. Number one, if you are not in love with a candidate, move on. There is no point in wasting the company's time and resources on candidates who are not exceptional. I would every time rather miss out on a good candidate than accidentally hire a bad one. Do not settle. You will pay the price literally forever. Two, the most important thing you can easily assess in an interview process is fixed versus growth mindset. Someone with a fixed mindset believes that nothing is in their control and that success or failure is determined by everything else around them. Some of the growth mindset believes that they always have the opportunity to learn and improve. So if you are noticing a candidate tends to blame others for the problems that they're discussing, doesn't have a positive attitude about failure or change, or does not demonstrate a strong desire to learn, just move on. A fixed mindset can really be a team culture killer. Hire only people with growth mindsets. And then number three, and this is really just to cut you some slack. There is no hiring manager that bats a thousand. Even the best hiring managers hire some duds. I spend a lot of time thinking about hiring and I've hired some bad talent. You will too. A bad interview process might get it right, let's say half the time. And a great interview process might get it right, let's say 80% of the time. That still means one in every five people you hire won't be amazing. That is totally okay. If you're getting it right 80% of the time and the other company is getting it right 50% of the time, you have 60% more talent than your competitor uh, who sucks at hiring. And that is a tremendous competitive advantage. Those are my thoughts on hiring. Thanks so much for listening. As always, uh, please feel free to reach out to me on my website or LinkedIn if you have any feedback on this episode or if you have any topics you'd like discussed on future ones. Thanks for tuning in.